Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. NBA playoffs, it's right around the corner. There's some interesting NBA future playoffs uh, odds right now. So make sure you check that out. And it's got you covered for not just that, but new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website right now, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is only a bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming into the pod today. I'm super excited, and the timing is just right. It is time to check in with our Chicago White Sox, a team that just wrapped up this afternoon a sweep of the Minnesota Twins, outscoring them 26-13 to in the three-game series. They are now 22-13 and on the season. They have the best run differential in the major league, so why not? It's time to bring in some White Sox experts. These are the hosts of Good Guys Talk Back, a pod that I've talked about several times on the, on the pod before, but these guys are as dialed in as anyone. Let's first say hello to our returning guest, Nick Morawski. Hello, Nick. Joey, thank you so much for, for having me on. This is going to be a lot of fun, and, and it always is fun talking socks, but especially after uh, this series and, and what's ahead, uh, I, I can't wait. Last time I had you on, we did a preview pod, and we were excited, and now we're seeing the fruits of that excitement on the field, and it feels pretty damn good. Let's bring in your co-host. He's our first-time guest, but I'm a big-time fan. His name is Pat Hester. Hello, Pat. Hey, what's going on? I, you use the term expert very loosely I hear on this show, so... <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm really excited, and I'm sure when you guys did your your, your preseason show, Nick had uh, Billy Hamilton playing center and robbing home runs and going four for four in a game. He just stopped the pod dead in its tracks and said, X Factor, let me tell you something right now. But let's just get started. We want to get into the macro in a little bit, but let's start with the micro of the Sox beating a Minnesota Twins team. Now, look, they're scuffling right now, but this team has obviously been a huge rival of ours the last couple of years. Nick, we're just going to throw it to you first. On the scale of one to statement, how big is this series? I know it's the middle of May right now. Is it a huge series for the team, or maybe it's a huge series for the fans, or both? It's it's on that scale. It's beyond statement. Um, it's it is probably much bigger for the fan base because of what we have gone through over the years. The Minnesota Twins are you know have won the division back to back years. Um, they've you know, they've kept us under their thumb for a long period of time. Um, it, it should be big for the organization. I think personally, this team is looking uh, beyond. They're, they're looking at in October. Um, they are looking for, uh, you know, ask me after the parade is the old Rick Hahn, uh, statement. Uh, so I think we relish in it as fans because we are finally now seeing a team that is taking care of an inferior team in, in a very um, forceful way. Um, so I personally think uh, to announce your presence uh, this early in the season, it is a statement and uh, don't stop now is what, is what, is what I think we're all thinking in our heads. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, uh, for fans, the tables have turned, the script has flipped. We're winning games in Oakland. It almost feels like it, it, we're almost at that particular status. Pat, just weigh in real quick uh, on a scale of one to statement, you know, how big is a series in mid May you do play Minnesota next week in Minnesota. So don't get too crazy white Sox fans, but this three game series, it, it just feels like a different white Sox team. Yeah, there are 16 more against uh, the Minnesota Twins throughout the rest of the season, which obviously is a lot of games, right? Uh, but I think it says more, not as a statement really to the rest of the division, maybe even the rest of the league, but a statement inside that locker room, the belief in themselves that they can do it, the belief that they were, you know, undermanned really. With, and, and so are the Twins, right? They were missing Buxton, but, you know, a, a, it just reinforces the belief within themselves that they can really do what they uh, what they said they could do when they started the season with a lot of talk, right? Now they're backing it up. So uh, again, I think they're just riding high right now. I think they can find a lot of different ways to win, and that's going to take you a long way. Yeah, you're hitting on it right now. And and Nick, I'll, I'll hop in in just a second. Uh, just talk a little bit about what you were going to say, and also the different ways of winning right now because it has been really interesting that it almost looks like a team from 2012, you know, laying down bunts, using speed, stealing bases, you know, winning in different ways. 
Yeah, you know the the Sox are like bottom three, bottom five in hitting home runs. I mean, the the it's, thing that we thought this team was going to do is not happening. So uh, they are getting two out RBIs. They are finding different ways. You know, Hamilton was four for four, which I know we'll talk more about him throughout this podcast. Um, yesterday he was four for four. What what a what this sweep does, uh, you know, coupled with the Kansas City sweep is sometimes, you know, even if you go down to traveling little league and high school and college, you can win games based on your reputation. You know, all you need to do is throw your gloves on the field and you sometimes have the game in hand because an opponent realizes what you've done against them already and what you're capable of doing. So I get it. It's only May, but this sets the stage for those other games that Pat had mentioned, you know, the other 16 games we have and the other games we have against the AL central, they're looking at us like, okay, this team's for real now. And uh, we better bring our a game. Yeah. We chopped out one leg and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're winning in this different way. These are not the Nick Swisher socks of years past. Pat, hop in. No, I was just going to say, you know, when I think about it, Right now, with the way the starting pitching is constructed, you really have, you always want to have that one guy as a stopper, right? You're going bad, you have that one. Right now, I feel like all these guys are a stopper. If we have a bad game or two, I'm not looking at the tomorrow starting on, oh, well, that's probably going to be another tough one because we got so-and-so on the mound. I feel extremely confident with every guy that we're sending up to the bump on any given day that they're going to give us a great chance to win. And we talk about run differential. That says just as much about the offense as it does the starting pitching and, and, and the ERA that we have. So again, you got to feel really, really good about the starting staff. And my partner has beat it into my brain over the last uh, probably 60 or so episodes, pitching, pitching, pitching. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm, yes, I hear you, Nick. You're right. It is the starting pitching. I got gotcha. you. I hear you. I see you, my partner. You are right there. And you. And yeah, look, 22 and 13, not a lot to complain about. I think 85% of this pod is going to be us saying, man, this is a really exciting time. So let's just kind of briefly touch on maybe a couple of the concerns, which are honestly being answered right now. And Pat, you're bringing it up perfectly is starting pitching. Giolito's not off to a great start. Doesn't really seem to matter, does it? You know, the Tony La Russa controversy, which seems like, a month ago was only what maybe a week and a half ago. They've put together some games really quickly. No problems really with the bullpen. That seems to kind of, I don't know about ironed itself out. I don't know about gone away, but it is definitely quiet itself a little bit. Yeah. And then Nick, just talk about this outfield. We're running Andrew Vaughn, Billy Hamilton, Adam Eaton, Danny Mendick. I mean, Lurie Garcia. I mean, these are the outfields that we're running out on a day-to-day -day basis and look, they're producing. Yeah, you know, I'm sitting in the stands last night for game two. And before the game starts, I'm looking at the lineups. And I'm like, you know, if you would have told me uh, back in late March that we were going to have a outfield of Vaughn, Hamilton and Mendick and we were going to be in first place. And with the run diff the way it is, I, it's like, no, that's crazy. No, no, no. Aloy and Robert are our are, are mainstays. And then our question mark is right field. It's unbelievable that this is how, you know, we're, we're winning, but, you know, looking at some of the things that need to be cleaned up, um, of course, some guys that, you know, need to start cooking on their traditional numbers, you know, and, and Rebreu is getting there, uh, but the defense needs to be sharpened up. Well, there were three errors in today's game and, um, you know, Lamb playing first base, that's a whole nother story, but. I've got the, a solution the, for you, Nick, in the defense. Can I throw something out to you sure, guys? Yeah. Football yeah. With you. All right. Now here's, here's what we do. When there's a pop-up on the left side of the infield, <laughs> Yon Makata needs to run into the dugout. And I think all of our problems will be solved. Um, how many times is this that guy, you were talking about Little League before, how many times is this guy not going to realize that the shortstop is the captain of the infield and get the hell out of the way Yeah, the, the, the pop-up on the left side of the infield? What is going on with that? Someone's, they're gonna, he's going to kill somebody. The ghost of Aloy has somehow gotten into the spirit and body of Mankata where he wants to go for all of the pop-ups when Anderson's the general over there. And, you know, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, someone's really going to get hurt. And with Mankata's legs, the way they are in general, I, I feel like any little Ninoc uh, could shelve him, which we don't want. Yeah, you get contact with Mankata. He's going to limp out about five, eight steps. Just make sure that his life's okay. Um, yeah, Pat, uh, Pat, is the defense concerning you still a little bit? I mean, and it's been a bugaboo of this young, talented White Sox team. I, I've, said, I've said the the, the main uh, opponent of this team is themselves. 
right? It's, are you going to shoot yourself in the foot so far? And in this series, really, it's a microcosm. This series, we, this could have, in, in years past, against the Twins especially, when you have some of the mental gaps that we had, uh, the, the, the game would have went another way. And we would have been, you know, pissed off the rest of the day and, and kicking things and good thing I don't have a dog. And, you know, that's how it went. But we've been able to overcome. And I think that's where the maturation has come with this team is we believe that we can have this mistake and overcome it. Now, it's got to be cleaned up, right? I don't understand. I mean, the ballpark was not by any means full today. It hasn't been for years. How come Mankata cannot hear someone calling him off? How come he can't make the play uh, the other day that just dropped between them? So it, it's 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 mind-boggling. I I'm just going to accept that the team is going to be mediocre at best on defense and their starting pitching and their, and their offense is going to overcome it. And you talked about things, other things that are concerning starting pitching in terms of Giolito. I don't know that I'm as concerned about Giolito. It's been more of a inning here, inning there. And I think once he finds his control, which I think he will, I think he's good at, he's sound enough mechanically that he'll find his, his, uh, his, uh, his control and he'll be back on top. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's almost this this great catbird seat that they're in to use a hawkism that honestly that the rotation's going so great right now. And Giolito hasn't quite clicked in. And you could still see with Lance Lynn today, you know, not exactly his best stuff. Had to get to 110 just to get through five, especially that last inning was laborious to say the least. Both those guys, you know, your two horses right now aren't running on full steam. That just makes a White Sox fan even more excited. Nick, hop in. Yeah, the, the Giolito stuff uh, is not uh, concerning at all. Uh, what I think, it, it, what we're getting at here is a guy like Giolito that surprised a lot of the league in 2019. Uh, got into the All-Star team, had a hell of a year, had a great year last year uh, in a short season. And, you know, the book's out on, on Giolito, you know, especially within the AL Central. They're like, okay, this is who we are looking at. He relies on his changeup. And now Giolito has to... Now, now it's your move, Giolito. How are you going to overcome the fact that these guys know you and figured you out? So it's your move. And he's smart enough and he's weather tested now, especially with cats in his corner to be able to survive this. Um, you know, so with a Giolito that's been struggling, though, you get a cease that has overperformed maybe and a Rodan that's definitely overperformed. So it's kind of balanced itself out a little bit. Yeah, let's uh, let's have a little hyperbole. Let's have a drink, uh, drink a shot of hyperbole real quick. Carlos Rodon right now, AL Cy Young. No, wrong. I mean, as at, at this point, like starter in the All Star game. If the All Star game was tomorrow, I mean, Pat, this is had to have been a, a, just an amazing surprise. It, it's it's blown me away to be honest with you. I, I I would have never expected this. Now we've seen guys get off to great starts and have good halves, right? He's got to put it all together, but. I don't know. I guess I haven't looked enough at the, the rest of the league uh, in, in terms of who else would I, would I look at? Maybe it's um, maybe it's uh, I don't even know. I don't even know who else would, would be in his ERA is like point zero five. So, so, yeah. so he's, he's in rare air and he seems to get stronger as the game goes on. What I love about what, what he's done is pitching his fastball up in the zone, right? Mm -hmm. It used to be people would just wait and they'd wait. They know it's a slider coming. He can't locate the fastball. They, he's getting guys to swing at his pitch, his pitches rather than the other way around. That's why he's been so elite so far this year. Yeah, not to take a side road real quick, but uh, Nick, you haven't been on since you went you went to Rodon's no hitter, um, almost perfecto. I know it was a little while ago, but still a really special night. You were there in attendance. Just kind of maybe take us to that place real quick and just talk about how special that night was. Well, again, you know, we, we talk about if things, you know, that people would have said to me in late March, I just wouldn't believe. And I wouldn't believe I'd be sitting at a, a Rodan no hitter. You know, of course, you'd think it would be someone like, um, you know, Lance Lynn or, you know, he, you know, maybe even Giolito does it again with his stuff. But um, it's a totally different uh, Rodan. And as that game was going on and he's, you know, first pitch fastball, he's getting ahead. He's getting, you know, ground balls. He's sprinkling in his strikeouts. His velocity is still there. Um, he maintains that composure. There's a couple, you know, tight plays. And then we get to the, towards the end of the game, Abreu makes an amazing play and he hits a guy in, on a shoelace, uh, basically. 
I thought for sure the old Rodan collapses and, you know, this is where the, the Indians are going to get back into this. Yeah. And you know, that, that showed me that this guy is a different type of Rodan to bear down and finish that achievement and everything he's, he's gone through and the injuries and the doubting and, um, you know, I, Hey, I, I, we, Pat and I talked about in a previous episode of, I still psychoanalyze a little bit. Like, does he have the stamina? He hasn't put together a real body of work in several years. Um, is this like an Esteban Loiza where he just has like a great, you know, year he starts the all-star game, but then we don't hear from him. Um, it's a one-year contract, but now I've gotten to a point of just appreciating Rodan and just, Hey, you know, I love the, I love what he's going through and he does, it's not this, he's not like, this isn't accidental, like Matt Latos in like 2015 or 2016, when he started out four and oh, and it was very lucky four and oh, he's dominating. Rodon is dominating on all of his pitches. Um, and to even have a no hitter against the Indians and then come back and face the Indians the next week and still win. It, it's definitely a, a joy to watch. He keeps proving, proving it to us every single start. Pat, just weigh in real quick. You know, what's your confidence level in Rodon's staying power moving forward? Well, I think I'm confident just because it sounds like he's got his mechanics figured out with, with Ethan Katz, right? And that's easy to say once you've had success. It's like, oh, well, it was, it was this. I don't know what I was doing for the last, you know, five years of my career. But uh, it looks like he's completely poised. It looks like he's, he's pinpoint with everything he does. His control is you know, out of this world. He's not walking anybody. He's striking out probably at least eight or nine a game. Uh, I, I feel extremely confident, you know, and, and he's pumping it up there at 98 miles an hour in, into the sixth and seventh inning, which is not what we were seeing before. You know, I, we knew he could brush it up there, but it didn't seem like it was coming later into the game, right? That's what the, that's what top of the line, Justin Verlander type of pitchers do. It's right. I know what I, I, I can save this to later now because I know I got it there. I know I can throw it when I want, and I'm going to need it later on in the sixth inning in a big, uh, in a big spot. I can pump, I can brush it up there at 98 miles an hour if I have to, and that's that's what's great because he's confident in all his stuff right now, and he still has the wipeout pitch in the slider, which it's almost like, am I going to throw it now? <laughs> yeah, it's I'll a surprise, <laughs> Mr. And, and, and then it's like it comes out of the hat, and it's like holy crap. So, I, I'm loving what I'm seeing. I don't know how long it'll last in terms of you know, beyond this year, because it's going to be really tricky. You know, as he becomes a free agent, what do you do? Seattle Mariners, four years, 57 million. And you know what I mean? Because we've got options, right? Because we have have options behind him. So we don't have to necessarily overpay for a Carlos Ron. We can thank him for his services and he can go make some big money somewhere else. And, you know, you're bringing up a great point where I think the newest part of Rodon, you guys are both hitting on it, is that that fifth inning, that sixth inning, hitting that extra notch, you know, really taking it to another level, not just being satisfied with, hey, let's get three outs and let's see if I can get a five-inning, six-inning start here. He's actually really kind of pushing it and making it happen. You know, Pat, I, in the beginning of the season, what I my whole thing on Rodon was it just felt like a neutral like – you're just taking a flyer, you know what I mean? It's like, a, it's like a free ticket to watch a show or something. You're either going to like the show or not like the show, and I was just kind of hoping he'd give us 50 to 80, 80 innings, you know, eat up yeah. some bullets – maybe Kopech moves into the rotation and we can thank him for his services <laughs> in that narrative. He's completely doing that. And he's an ACE right now and doing it. And now I'm kind of, I'm converting a bit as a yeah. fan seeing, Hey, how far can he push this here? Is he a guy that can win 15, 16 games and be a dude that maybe, you know, everything fingers crossed, you get, you get into October and you're like, well, should Rodon start game two? Like we're having those kinds of conversations. And I think that'd be a really cool place to be. And it's another thing, too, where we're talking about what, what, what concerns and the things that are kind of being answered. Getting back to the outfield real quick, Pat, I want you to go first on this one. Let's just talk about this outfield one more time where it does feel like it's an outfield that's running on the margins, right? And when, when Robert went down, everyone said, not a matter of if, but when are the White Sox going to look outside the organization to acquire outfielders? You know, just talk about what do you think it does to a team like this to just show the guys in that locker room that, Hey, we can hang with the dudes that we have on this team right now. Of course, I still think they're going to acquire someone, but it's not, there's no desperation, right? We don't have to overpay. We're we're in a spot right now. That's pretty decent where they don't have to make that move necessarily right now. 
I made a point, I think it was on our last episode with Nick, and, and I said, Andrew Vaughn has put himself in a position where he does not necessarily have to be pulled late in the game for a defensive replacement because he's out there. He's by far, he's by far from a a great left fielder, but he looks like he belongs. You know, he looks like he's played the position, you know, at least at some level for several years, he plays the wall way better than Eli can do in his dream. So I I'm fine. If they don't make a, a move for a left fielder, what we probably need is a center fielder. I love what Billy Hamilton has done over the past three days. He's not an everyday guy. He is the guy that you bring in for exactly what he has been doing, which is bring him into pinch run. You move him over. You have him steal third. You you ha- and then on a wild pitch he scores a run. Right. He's the insurance run type of guy that he's there for. And you need those kind of guys. You need guys that are brick and mortar guys that are there to do a job and have a role. Now he probably doesn't want to hear that because now he's you know he's turned himself into you know he is uh, having the time of his life yeah, there. And, he's and, playing and he, the most he has played. I think in years in major league baseball this is a pinch runner right and now he's like he's smiling after every catch i mean i'm i'm happy for the dude right but, but it, you know for right now rick Hahn, he doesn't have to make a move right now and overpay right because he he's not in a desperation spot so he can wait till he gets closer to the trade deadline when the when the cost will probably go down for a center fielder and you can look outside of the organi- organization and get one which is fine so you know, the team has put Rick in a great spot to kind of just sit back and go, okay, we can, we can, we can win. We don't, we're not necessarily even treading water. We're doing better than that. You know, I can sit here and wait for people to come to me and I don't have to seek out and overpay for something. Yeah. Knee jerk reaction mm-hmm. after the Robert injury, Han trades crochet for Starlin Marte, you know what I mean? Or, or just something. Cause they need it. Like right now, Nick, just weigh in on the fact that you know, when the Robert injury happens, there's that urgency to what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And this team is bonded together. And I think in the long run, it's really going to really going to help them out, even if they do probably go out and make another acquisition out there. Well, chemistry is key. You know, we saw it in 2005 when there were injuries with uh, Frank Thomas and, you know, some of our relief pitching. Uh, of course, you want to you want to panic, but everybody in the league knows what you want and uh, they've got you. And the fact that we do have, you know, guys stepping up and having to play roles that they didn't think they were going to play is such a great sign. And uh, we were, you know, we were a little low on Billy Hamilton, me specifically. Um, I'm you right. Know, uh, and, you know, it, his hitting, you know, he was not able to produce uh, offensively. Of course, he's a great defensive replacement and he made a hell of a catch today covering ground and center field that, uh, saved multiple runs against the wall. Um, but now he's hitting, you know, so then Lurie, it's like, okay, now you might be our off the bench guy. Uh, and Billy might find more regular playing time until angle can come back healthy. And, and then, you know, Eaton, I don't know what he's dealing with, you know, leg wise, you know, he might need some breathers here and there. Uh, but to Pat's point, it's like Han can just sit back and say, well, I don't need to make a pressure move. I've been down this road, you know, where we ended up getting James Shields to try to cobble something together and we paid dearly and we're finding other ways. And the way is pitching, you know, and that's where it all starts. We have such a solid backbone with pitching where we're able to weather some of these storms. Thought of something and it was uh, the best thing for Rick Hound right now is Jake Berger. Jake Berger hitting three home runs right now in the minor leagues. If he continues to perform, he's a, there's a log jam. We don't need, we have enough Jake Burgers on this team, right? First baseman, third baseman, DH type guys. They can hit the ball at the ballpark. We've got that. So if he continues to perform, he's your trade bait, you know, as we get closer to the deadline, if he continues to hit bombs in, in, uh, in triple a. That's a great call. I mean, I like Jake Berger when we picked him up, but what he blew out his Achilles twice in two consecutive years. It's just kind of hard to sort of kind of map out the long-term future in terms of a Jake Berger. I love that call as a, perhaps a dangler in a trade moving forward. Just to hammer in on uh, Billy Hamilton real quick. He's played 17 games where he's had at least one plate appearance in four of those games. He's gotten one hit. And of course the other day he had four hits, but yeah, this is Billy Hamilton's week. He's having the time of his life. He scored five runs. Let's see five runs in his last three games with two stolen bases, six runs over his last eight playing great defense using that speed right now. It is fun when you follow a team on a day-to-day basis, you learn all the players, you fall in love with them. And we come up with the phrase super sub 
the guy that does a little bit of everything, the guy doesn't play every day, maybe he just plays on Sundays, but when he comes in, you're always rooting for him. I asked you guys pre-pod to come in. I just want to hear, in White Sox history, who is your favorite super sub, your Billy Hamilton of the past? Nick, would you like to go first? Yeah, I, I've got a guy, and uh, it's Dwayne Wise. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate super sub. I mean, oh, nine, to, to, uh, you might, one might say the perfect super sub uh, coming in as a defensive replacement for Burley's perfect game. And he also find, found other ways throughout his time with the Sox to pick up a hit or, you know, put a glove on the ball. I, I mean, he'll always, he'll, he's in, in history, in Sox history as a super sub. He was such a good super sub that they try to make him an everyday player. And mm. that's when you know that you're an amazing super sub when they think that there's a little bit more out there. That's a great call. Pat, who do you who do you got in White Sox lore? A super sub, a fan favorite. A fan favorite super sub, Pablo Ozuna. How about yes. that for, for great call? You know, Pablo, I'm not sure they did a ton in his white, but every time it seemed like he was scoring a big run, he was rounding the bases when we needed to, to get something going. And, you know, he brought a lot of energy. So I love Pablo Ozuna. Who, who wouldn't love a Pablo Ozuna? That's a great call. When I think of my, when I image, uh, when I envision Pablo Ozuna, it's the eighth inning and he's diving headfirst into home and scoring a really important run. That's a great call. I was trying to like go back deep. You know, Dan Pasqua had a big super sub kind of uh, vibe in the 90s. You guys remember Craig Grayback? Uh, the little bulldog. I almost yeah. said Craig Grayback. Now, if you look up, like, if you look up Craig Grayback's stats, they're awful. Like they're <laughs> terrible. Yet for some reason, whenever we watched a game, Hawk Harrelson would always like highlight him for his like his tryhard attitude, or he'd get a hit. It turned into like this big huge deal. And I think Billy Hamilton's kind of having that right now. Now let's be very clear before yeah, Nick, I want you to hop in. Let's be very clear. In my personal opinion, I love what Billy Hamilton's doing right now. He is not the long-term answer. In fact, I think less is more probably with Billy Hamilton moving forward. I know they want to run with it for a little while. It's working right now, but I think in general, we are going to want to kind of hopefully Lurie Garcia can kind of pick up his game. Hopefully Adam Angle can come back sometime soon and start to contribute. Nick, hop in. Well, I think the going back to the grayback and, and some of these super subs in general, it's the TWTW. It's like these guys just have the heart and have had to constantly fight for roster spots that that's why we root for them and we love them so much. The Hamilton stuff lately and really the last couple of days, uh, if you are a certain age and you very much remember the 2005 team, it's visions of that. It's Pitsednik stealing third, you know, and, and when, when, you know, putting the pressure on a team and then getting a base hit and scoring, you know, it's like those slap hits. It's, it's the little things. It's very small ball. It's very Aussie ball. And, and it got, it, Hey, it was effective for the white Sox, And, and we're seeing that a little bit now. Yeah, what was the sequence? I think it was the other day. We laid down a bunt. He got to second. Hamilton stole third, and he ended up scoring. That's the type of stuff. I mean, it's it's tough. You don't want to get into meathead territory and say that's like championship caliber baseball. But honestly, that is the kind of shit that you start to see from teams early on in a season that when you look back and they're starting to do something special, you look back at those moments and you're like, man, they were doing it right really early on. And that's what's so exciting right now about being a White Sox fan and watching these games. It's time to hit it. Let's just hit Tony LaRusso real quick. Um, help fill in our listeners a little bit about how you guys handled the particular controversy of some of the things that he's missed, some of the rules that he wasn't aware of a week and a half ago, and then maybe just give us a little broad take of you know where you think he's at with his pulse on this team. Uh, Pat, if you'd like to go first. I am. I've swung so many times back and forth. I've almost made myself sick talking <laughs> about going because I was at the beginning, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's figuring things out. He's figuring his team out. He's figuring out what his teams can and cannot do and asking the guys what they, you know, to do what they can do and vice versa. And then with the not knowing the rules, it kind of infuriated me. And I thought I was going to give him through halfway through the season before I, I made a judgment on him. And then I decided Nope. I made a judgment. If you don't know the rules, this game has passed you by you, you, this is you're over in over your head. You can't do this. You look, you're, you're, I talked about body language. His body language looked horrible. He looked like he was just run down and beaten down. I was like, is he going to make it, you know, back to his home tonight? My God, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for him. And over the past, you know, week, you know, he, for, to his credit, he didn't lie. He didn't say, well, you know, I did it because of this and I'm smart. And, you know, this is uh, the numbers told me that I should do this and blah, 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 blah. What do you guys know? You're just reporters. He was humble enough to say he was wrong and he got killed for it. 
and maybe rightfully so. But, um, you know, this week has gone well. Seems like he pushed all the right buttons. He's never going to get credit for, he's a Hall of Fame manager after all. He's never going to get credit for managing properly through games. But uh, he's made good moves. Everything has seemed to work out other than, you know, maybe playing Lamb at first today and, and the gaffes he's had, but he did have a home run. So, you know, I, I can't, I don't know. I go back, I'm going, I'm spinning myself into the ground talking about Tony La Russa. I'm just going to enjoy the ride and, and we'll see what happens. I, that's, how, that's all I'm going to do because you're a nitpick. Every time he, you think he makes a mistake, he's going to get killed for it. You're bringing up an interesting point where I, I don't want to give him credit for the lineup that he made today, but it did make sense with a doubleheader coming tomorrow. There is a good chance we might see Jake Lamb again tomorrow. You want your guys as fresh as you can to decide who's going to play that double dip and who's going to split. It, it's tough. It's just kind of tough to take. And in terms of that rule, excuses are excuses, and this doesn't mean a lot for anything, but new manager, American League team playing in the National League with a rule that was just created last year feels also like a recipe for a disaster. You got to know the rules, Pat. I completely agree with you. But I do like the fact that he came out and just said I messed up and I didn't know the rule. I mean, he didn't try and sugarcoat it or blame anyone else. Nick, how did you uh, intake that situation? I, I was really disappointed because uh, this comes in after a situation a few weeks ago with not taking Giolito out when it was clearly, was, you know, it was, That's the it, yeah, it was time for Giolito to go. And in, in the post-game presser, Giolito's like, yeah, I was gassed. And Tony's like, oh, I didn't see that or I didn't know that. So that was not, you know, the optics aren't good there. So that was a bad couple weeks. Um, you know, and then nobody in the clubhouse or the, I'm sorry, the dugout knew the rule either when it seemed like according to Cincinnati Reds manager, everybody knows the rules because they talked about this in, in spring training or at least MLB officials. That's so the team with the pitcher though, you know, yeah. Um, the issue that I, I have is the, from day one, it seemed like Tony was kind of dragged out of retirement by, by Reinsdorf, like, please do this. We need, I want you to be our manager. And that's never a good feeling where you have to almost force somebody to be the manager. And I think he looked at the lineup Tony did and the team. And he said, you know, you, if you fix this bullpen, you get Hendricks. Um, oh yeah, th this will work because look at your offensive lineup. You're going to be a juggernaut and look at your pitching staff. You're going to be lights out. I don't think I have to do a lot of managing this man. This team's going to figure it out himself. Well, when Aloy goes down and Robert goes down and your bullpen has been a little shaky, you have to do some managing. You, you have to be smarter. And what, what Pat has said is, is true. At least well, that's what I've seen is the game moving way too fast. And he had to catch up a little bit. I think what happened in Cincinnati woke him up. I mean, it snapped him uh, back to life. I mean, look at today. He pinch hits for Lamb with Mercedes late in the game. And Mercedes is a professional hitter and got a critical hit to drive in an, a much needed insurance run. Game one of the Minnesota series, he looks at Foster, who can't figure it out, and says, Okay, three batters is enough for you, sir. I'm now going to bring in Crochet. And Crochet got the job done. That was sharp. It was almost like, okay, th that Cincinnati game woke you up, sir. And when we're not talking about Larusa, then, okay, he obviously had a good game. But I also think the talent um, can, as we say on the podcast, the talent on this team is the deodorant. You know, it covers up any little stink that there is with Tony. Covers up maybe some back hair, uh, maybe a mole or two along the way. Um, last one on Tony Larusa, Pat. How do you feel about? Um, Liam Hendricks, four or five out saves. Do you like them? Do you like them in May? Do you like them at all? I, I, I like them in May. I like them by the Bay. I like them when you say, no, I, I'm a big fan. I, he's, these guys, he's a, he's a competitor. He can do it. He's shown he can do it in the past. So if you've got a weapon that you can utilize to get five outs for you, utilize that weapon. He's going to be fine. I've got no concerns about it. Yeah, Nick, uh, are you cool with the four or five out saves kind of early on in the season? Yeah, I, I think so, um, especially with some of the rest that we've been giving our bullpen lately. Uh, today was a great example. Uh, Ruiz was used back-to-back -back nights against, obviously, the same team. He had success last night in Game 2. Uh, here in Game 3, he struggled. Minnesota was seeing him a lot better, and they were knocking him around. And LaRusa said, I've seen enough. And Hendricks, who thrives in these situations, so much to – 
uh, a game two, he almost got himself into a tight situation just so he can better perform and focus up the energy, the, the, just the attitude that Hendricks has, um, if he's cool with it and he has said to Tony, like, yeah, I can do that. You know, I'm, I've trained for that, or I have, um, conditioned myself for that. Then I have no problem with it. I, I kind of like it. The easy fan kind of drop in is he's getting paid 54 million. He should be able to do this, that, and whatever, but not every closer is like that. Not every closer can handle a dirty inning. And Liam Hendricks seems to have like the personality profile to be able to handle it. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board with it personally. I think if like the situation's right, you can definitely bring him in. We don't really have right now that eighth inning guy. You know, Evan Marshall continues to struggle. We like Cody Hoyer in the seventh. Kopech, you have to be really specific with how you utilize him. So we don't really have that right-hander in the eighth inning. I mean, Bummer's doing great. You know, don't get me wrong. So, yeah, maybe that's something that can kind of move forward. I've just heard that from White Sox fans, and I'm with you guys. I don't really have a problem with it. We're going to get you guys out of here on just one more thing. We talked about the lineup a little bit. We talked a lot about the unsung heroes. We did mention a little bit at the beginning of the pod. Some of these guys, some of these names in this lineup haven't quite necessarily, you know, got cooking just yet. One of these guys is coming right around the corner. So I want to talk about three guys in the lineup and then, uh, I don't know, maybe do a little trivia along the way and we'll see what happens as well. Let's start first with, um, let's start with Yasmani Grandal. Let's start with a guy who over his last 30 plate appearances has 16 walks. He has more walks in his last 30 plate appearances than he has actual official plate appearances. Um, still hitting 143. He's hitting 143 in May with an on-base percentage of 581 and a slugging of 571. This is a guy that clearly, if you look up his splits over his career, you know, they're all pretty much in the 230, 240 range batting average wise. In July is his best month by far in his career, 290, 388, 526. Pat, we'll start with you. Do you have hope for Yasmani Grandal that he's going to get turned around? He certainly turned around one of those fastballs the other night. He looks like now he's seeing the ball really well with a couple of home runs in the past couple of days, obviously today a day off for him, but it looks like he, he, he just looks like he's more comfortable in the box because he got a couple of fastballs in and he, he turned on him. So, so that's what you need to see from him. I really, I'm not worried about it. Guys like Yasmani Grandal eventually well, like we always talk about, they're going to perform to the back of their baseball card, right? His average may be a little, a, a touch lower this year, just because of the extremely slow start in terms of hitting, but he, he does what he does. He gets on base and you still love that he's contributing. He's letting guys behind him see pitches. He's working and wearing that pitcher out. So whether he's hitting the ball or not, he's getting on base and he was making pitchers work, man. And, and that pays dividends, maybe not that inning, but two or three innings down the line. Yeah. I mean, when you're given $73 million, the richest contract in Sox history, um, I think, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been that fan being like, you know, this guy's hitting a buck something like what's, what are we getting from this guy? And there's so much more you're getting from this guy. I mean, he's Mr. Moneyball. He gets on base and um, you know, like to Pat's point, he is irritating pitchers. Then there's nothing worse than a, a pitcher does not want to walk a play unless it's unless it's unintentional or inattentional. Like unless they want to walk you, they hate it because now they've got to focus on a run. run. Gun down. They're not trying to walk him. You know. What I'm yeah, saying? I mean, and and he's seeing pitches. He's grinding pitchers down. He's allowing, uh, you know, his you know his lineup to see pitches. And a perfect example was was last night in Game Two of the Minnesota series where he walks. And, you know, maybe Vaughn saw a couple extra pitches that he liked and Vaughn was able to, to launch one for his first home run. Guess who's on base? Grandal. So when Grandal does get something in the zone, though, lately it does seem like he's squaring it up or barreling it up and we're seeing positive results. The fact that he is, you know, his average isn't there, but he's at least providing something to the offense by getting on base and doing whatever he can to help out the team. Uh, hey, I got no problem with that. We're winning games. You mentioned at the beginning of the pot, the White Sox are not really hitting a lot of home runs as a team right now. This is a guy that eventually will start sending the ball over the fence and kind of help out, help balance that out a little bit. And, th and that's when it gets even more interesting for this offense moving forward. The next guy I want to talk about is, let's just talk about Tim Anderson real quick. A couple fun stats about Tim Anderson. I want you guys a tr quick trivia question. Which AL Central team does Tim Anderson have the highest batting average against in his career? Boy, I, I would probably just guess the Royals. 
I would say the Royals as well. But if I if if you want me to be different, I'll I'll be different. So uh, well, good. Right. Well, the only reason why I bring it up is because uh, after his couple of hits today, he moved. It's now the Minnesota Twins. Mm. He is a three twenty seven lifetime wow. hitter against the Minnesota Twins in second place. The Tigers at three twenty six. The Royals three oh nine. And for some reason, and if you go through all the White Sox splits. The Cleveland Indians, he's only hitting 240 lifetime against the Cleveland Indians. I mean, it's just a weird stat. The other one I found that was really interesting is uh, Tim Anderson is slugging 511 in the ninth inning of games, which is also really interesting. That's the highest slugging percentage that he has in any inning, in any game in his career. So just so everyone knows who Tim Anderson exactly is as a hitter, Nick, just open it up, man. What can we say that hasn't already been said about Tim Anderson, but the dude's leading the charge. He comes up with huge hits. He hits the ball all over the field. Today, he took one out of the yard. I mean, the dude is just awesome. He's the straw, um, and he set the tone in the offseason, and then Giolito jumped on with, this team is good. I mean, we're damn good, and we are the team that should be feared, and we need that killer mentality. And uh, saying something like that and putting a bullseye on the team's back is not always the greatest thing, but when Tim says it, because he can back it up, uh, you know, the team's got no problem with it. And when he was out of the lineup for, for a period this season, and we saw it last season, it's a different Sox team. You know, it, it's a, it's a kind of a bland team and they need his energy. And, um, you know, the, the in bad adjustments that he makes and, you know, he's becoming a professional hitter and he knows he can spray it all over the field. And, why is he slugging in the ninth inning? I don't know. I mean, he's he's leading. He, he where he hits in the lineup, he might see that pitcher or pitchers quite a bit. But with the way bullpens are managed, he's seeing a bunch of different players. I think he just gets more comfortable as the game goes on. He gets looser, yeah. and you he's know, dude, he's a baller, right? In those ninth yeah. innings, who shows up for those big hits? Who's hitting the ball in the gap? Who's hitting the ball for power? And this is a guy who traditionally isn't known as a power hitter. He's known as more of an all-around hitter. And the dude brings it in the ninth inning. I just think that's a really cool stat. And it just kind of it just kind of illustrates a little bit of, of who Tim Anderson is and who he keeps becoming in front of our very eyes. Pat, just weigh in. Is there is there anything Tim Anderson offensively cannot do? Seems extremely confident. Listen to him in the post game yesterday when he was doing the interview uh with, with Jason and, and Stoney. And he's just like, if you throw it in the zone, I got a barrel for it. Right. And he's, and he's going to put the bat on the ball and he's going to put it, he's, he's going to hit it to right. He's going to pull the ball when he, when he gets inside of him. you just, it's just a hard person to get out. And he's proven obviously as a batting champ two years ago. Yes. Or last year coming in second place in, in terms of average, the only thing holding Tim Anderson back from being a superstar in this game is an extended stay in October. That's it. Because then he'll get no, uh, national uh, notoriety and, and people will recognize him more. That, we know him. He's our star, right? He will become a superstar as his team goes to October year after year. And they have, they have prolonged stints there. Final guy I want to talk about. We brought him up. We brought him up at the beginning of the pod. He got off to kind of a slow start, but that's kind of apropos for his career. Now he's starting to heat up a little bit. It's Jose Abreu before we talk about Jose. Quick trivia question. Who has a higher batting average career with runners in scoring position, Jose Abreu or Frank Thomas? Oh, it's Frank Thomas. Yeah. I'm just going to say that because I'm a Frank Thomas apologist. Nick is, he's a, he's a Frank Thomas hater. So I know. Say, no, I just, he wasn't my, he wasn't my nineties guy. You know, I was focused on the pitching and uh, also Ventura. Um, but, and his turtleneck y'all give me black. Jack, <laughs> the mock, the mock balls. Yeah. Um, Band. Yeah. Yeah. I would go with Thomas. Um, so to be very fair, Thomas had over 2,200 uh, attempts in this runners and scoring position situation. Jose Abreu has had 1,200. It is Jose Abreu. Mm. Jose Abreu career lifetime runners and scoring position is hitting 321. Frank Thomas 312. Even better stat career two outs runners and scoring position. Jose Abreu hits 315 for his career with two outs and runners in scoring position. Frank Thomas, 291, still pretty good. But, I mean, Jose Abreu, the guy's starting to get hot a little bit. You know, I'm just going to rip off some of these splits, these career splits in June, 292, 334, 515, July, 289, 348, 482, August, 335 batting average, 391, 595 slugging, 46 home runs, 141 runs batted in, and 187 August games. This dude's just getting started, Pat. I mean, let's just let's just talk about Jose right now because we're doing this. We have the most wins 
and the best winning percentage in baseball right now, and our best player, Jose Breu, is just starting to get hot. You know when it's coming, when he's when he's driving at the center and right center, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, when he's putting it out there, and then you, you can't get a fastball by him, and he's going to deposit in the left field seats. So, you know, I, I almost feel like it's unfortunate. I feel like we've taken him for granted over the last couple of years because he's just been so automatic, so and he's never had anybody behind him. And now nobody around him really to, 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 uh, to compliment him. And it's just been a joy. It really is a joy. And a guy that works hard and a guy that's going to be out there every day that doesn't want to come out of games, his defense seems like it's, it's gotten better and better uh, over the past year plus. So you can't say enough great things about him. Even when he was struggling batting average wise, he still had power numbers. He was still getting home runs. He was still driving in runs. He his just, his average was, was, you know, subpar. So I, I just, I know that it's going to get really good here. Once the weather continues to heat up, he's only going to get better. Yeah. He's not really in offensive form right now. And I think he's still top five in the AL and RBIs, what he's got like 33 RBIs right now. So just wait until the dude gets hot. And yeah, for the diehard, he's an absolute white Sox treasure and legend for the casual fan. He is consistent, right? You can bank as a casual fan. If you wear the 79 and you go on 35th to see a ball game, chances are Jose Abreu is going to do something good. And I mean, that just speaks a lot to just that consistency. You were talking about the player that he is. I mean, I've made no secret of my love for Abreu. He will have his number retired. He will have a statue on the concourse and this dude deserves it. He's not the longest tenured white sack. That's Lurie Garcia, but we as fans want this for him uh, for a lot of different reasons, but just to see the joy in, in these, and the way this team's playing uh, from Abreu, and he he has a he has some heavy shoulders, you know, with uh, Aloy being down and Robert being down, and he knows that he has to carry it. But we're finding other ways to get the offense done. What I I, I saw something in the game uh, yesterday. It was game two, uh, first inning or so. He goes to track down a fall ball along the first baseline, and he bangs up his ankle or his knee, you know, really giving it uh, an effort. And he's stretching it out, and he looks like he's walking a little gingerly. Nobody comes out of the of the dugout because they know better to even question if this guy is going to come out or not. What does he do when he gets up to bat the ne- next inning? He rips a triple. He just like there's some things you just can't quantify. You can't explain. Uh, yes, we've got a sample size for this guy, and yes, he's coming, and you better watch out um, because he wants to let you know why he was the MVP last year, and he wants to show that he can be in that conversation for a 162 season. But he just he does it all, and his footwork and his defense, as Pat said, he doesn't get enough credit for it. That has come around. He's a complete player, and he's a leader. Um, and you know, yes, Anderson's the straw, but. You know, I, I guess you'd say, you know, a is the glue defensively, at least has just come leaps and bounds. I mean, yeah, he's made a couple of stabs at first base with his leg where you're like, holy shit, please just get up and be OK. But no, I mean, there's nothing, nothing that can knock the dude and 141 RBIs and 187 August games. That's disgusting. That is disgustingly good. I know people want to knock down RBIs, but this dude is an RBI professional. Gentlemen, we're going to get you out of here on this last one here. Double dip tomorrow with the Royals. We've got a four game with the Royals. And then I think we do the Twins in Minnesota. And then I think we get the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Orioles, and I believe the Indians, if I'm getting that correct. Just give us one thing that White Sox fans should keep their eye on in the coming weeks. And one thing that you're kind of looking forward to watch. I mean, I continue to look for the killer instinct. Um, it is not good enough uh, to just win a series against an inferior team. You must destroy their spirit um right now and and when you've got teams like kansas city and minnesota floundering and no 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 don't give them any hope that they can hang with us uh we've got the we've got the guns to prove it we've got the horses and you know looking at like let's just take the double header tomorrow against kansas city you've got giolito and kopech which i'm very excited to see a kopech start Uh, he has been a joy to watch uh, this year but if you're the Royals, you're saying, wait a second, this team just swept us in Kauffman Stadium. We've got to go to Chicago. And these are the two guys we got to face. Oh, I guess it'll be better Saturday. No, it's not. Rodon is going to now pitch uh, on Saturday. And that's where you're at. So as a fan, listen to me, as a fan, 
do not just simply ex- just accept, oh, we, we played well and we won two out of three. Uh-uh, not anymore. Not with this team. It's now about beating teams down and sending a message. I completely agree with you, man. When we talked on that preview pod, dude, it was about this team being capable of ripping off not like four or five wins in a row, but this team had the capability of ripping off, you know, 17 out of 21, you know what I mean? 24 out of 30, so on and so those kinds of runs, they're starting to show a little glimpse of that right now. Pat, one thing that you're looking forward to, one thing the White Sox fans should keep an eye on for these upcoming series the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, this starting staff to continue doing what they're doing, right? And putting up zeros and, and keeping the team, if not in games, winning the, the game almost by themselves having it set up nicely in terms of the entire picture for Tony, right? I got a guy that I can go out there and I know he's going to get me five or six. And then I've got my bullpen set up for just about every game. And he can, he can, uh, he can get managed and, and navigate his way through a game very easily that way. And I'm with Nick. Nick has kind of motivated me. I, I wish Nick would be around when I'm trying to do a workout because he'd be telling me to stomp on people's throats in the gym and things like that. You're uh, stopping just, at four sets right now. Yeah, you can't yes, have no. that. That is unacceptable. He's like always yelling at me. Nick is telling me I'm unacceptable. Uh, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. It's something I said on the podcast, uh, our podcast the other day is when your opponent is drowning, stick a fire hose in their mouth. And that's how we have to think. We got guys that are down. Royals are down. Double barrel fire hose in their mouth. Thunder. Oh, wow. 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 The podcast is good, guys. Talk back. Guys, thank you so much for being on this pod. I'm betting Chicago pod. Nick, real quick, uh, for the both of you guys, just talk about uh, good guys talk back. When the episodes come out, merch, all that good stuff, help promote the podcast to the good yeah. Listen to this one, can listen to yours. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's It's been about two a week, two every 10 days, but uh, definitely a weekly uh, Chicago White Sox podcast. I mean, it's everything Chicago White Sox, and you, you could find it everywhere you find podcasts, subscribe. Uh, and every new episode will come into uh, to your inbox. Uh, we're on Twitter at Good Guys uh, TV, and uh, you could also find us on the Shy City Sports uh, website. Uh, they've got great Chicago-centric content, and uh, we also have got some Good Guys Talk Back uh, shirts there um, on their store. Great shirts, and also you guys have been getting great guests. Congratulations on that. That's been super cool. Pat, my friend, thank you so much for coming on the pod, man. It's great to meet you. Great talking socks with you. Hopefully we can have you back soon. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate right it. On. Today's episode of Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you head to the website because it's free to sign up and they give a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Not too bad. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got plenty more coming next week. Thank you so much for checking in. Have a great weekend. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.